Good evening and welcome to today's episode of Rise Up, Ignite Your Life. This is Krista Fee, your host, and today we're going to step outside of our conversation of post-traumatic and occupational traumatic stress and shift a little bit of our focus towards the bonds of family, what happens when those bonds of family are conflicting, and what happens when the organization that we depend on, that we expect to have our back and to that's become such a part of us, what happens when that organizational structure or system fails us? So today I'm bringing to you U.S. Navy veteran and retired U.S. Marshal Robert Lettiger. Hello. Hello. I'm so excited to have you here today because uh, this thanks. conversation goes a little different direction than usual. Right, right. Thanks for having me. It's great to be part of this. I like to push buttons and to uh, challenge systems and structures. So know that this podcast is completely raw, uncensored. You can say anything that you want to say. Um, anything goes. Um, but let's begin with your childhood a little bit. Let's talk about what was that like for you? And did you always know what you wanted to be when you grew up? Uh, yeah, very much so. I um. I'm from New York, um, the five boroughs. I grew up in Queens in a, <clears throat> a town called Rock in the Rockaways. So it was like a little island off of uh, main part of New York. And um, I lived on the water my whole life. I got to endure, you know, all four seasons. Um, I went to um, Catholic grammar school, Catholic high school. Um, uh, back in the day when you can walk to school, you know, and, um, I still, I'm still friends with the same guys and girls I went to kindergarten with today. Um, I played sports more big, big hockey participant. Um, I did fairly good in school. I didn't get, I didn't have to go to summer school. I got left back. Uh, and then, um, you know, like when I was in high school, you know, I knew the, the, the route I was going to take. I went and uh, I wanted to go into Navy and uh, I set my sights on to become uh, I wanted to become like a federal agent. And uh, more or less, I was, you know, daydreaming about going to like DEA because, you know, as a teenager, you grow up watching, uh, you know, we watched Miami Vice and I thought that was the coolest thing in the world, you know, cruising around in a Ferrari and a scarab boat and, uh, you know, going after the bad guys. So I thought that's what it was all about. So I graduated um, high school and um, went right into the Navy. And I was um, I did almost seven years. I was a um, master at arms, uh, second class petty officer before I got out. I served in um, Pensacola, Florida. Then I went to um, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait during a desert storm. Uh, then from there, I went to a small little island in Italy, La Maddalena, which was awesome. We had a real good time there. Then I ended up, um, my last tour was in um, Little Creek, Virginia, as an instructor for shipboard and security engagement tactics. And then, you know, while I was there, you know, um, we were getting all these notices, well, law enforcement recruiting, you know, like regular police departments and, and even um, federal agencies. So I'm 23, 24 years old and I'm applying, you know, I'm like, I'm not gonna stay in the military. And then I applied. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to go with whoever calls me first, you know, just to get in. And so I did. And um, I applied for the U.S. Marshals and this, this special program they had called Operation Shining Star that they were going for military people, you know, law enforcement, special programs, guys, guys and girls that were in there. And um I knew I would get picked, you know, my background spoke for itself. And I went, I took, 
I did some interviews. I took the test and like within two or three weeks, they called. They're like, hey, you're, you know, we want to put you in the academy and that. I'm like, all right. So, and it happens quick, man. It was, it was real quick. And I, um, I got out of the Navy on a Saturday in June. And on Sunday in June, I was in the Marshalls Academy down in Georgia. You know, I just rolled right over. <laughs> it was great. But um, I went through the academy and, you know, I'm still, I was 24 years old and I'm like, oh, I want to go back home to New York, you know, thinking I'm missing something. And uh, I did, I got, a, I got stationed in the Eastern District of New York, which is in Brooklyn, downtown. And um, I, wound, I wound up doing my whole career there in, in Brooklyn. And the territory that we cover was like Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, Nassau, and Suffolk County out in Long Island. And um, I went in, I was a deputy U.S. Marshal, and I did, um, you know, the, the um, it's almost like being a police officer. You know, you do like the uniform duties. I would work in... Um, in court or cell block or prison transportation, or, you know, I would get rotations into the warrant squad, which was like the glorious part of the job. You know, it's, that's what everybody wants to do. And then there was other parts of doing like seized assets where you would, you know, seize properties and uh, maintain them. And then um, protection details on judges or U.S. attorneys and, um, but I, you know, I was, I guess where I grew up, I was lucky that I had good common sense and street smarts so I could figure it out. And, you know, some of my bosses there, my old chiefs, they, they saw what I could do. And I would, my background being in the Navy as a MP and an investigator, you know, I slid right into the, the warrant squad and did that, you know, majority of my career. And it was awesome. We had some, it was such an adrenaline rush, you know, doing that stuff. And it's the, the greatest part of law enforcement. You know, you're, you're going after the bad guys. And um, I did that. And next thing you know, I was, I put in to be promoted and I was promoted to supervisor. And um, I, they had me, I had to work like, in different sections in the beginning, but there is no way. My chief was like, we can't do this. He, he, we can't put him in a suit and have him talking to the judges every day. It's not, you know, it's talking to the judges like we're back on the street somewhere. And uh, my chief which is a great guy and he knew right away. He's like, we got to put him back in the Warren squad. And <clears throat> here I am now, I go back in the Warren squad and supervise the guys that I'm working with that I used to work with side by side, but now I'm their boss, you know, but it's great because I was one of those guys and I still am today is like, I care more about the guys and the girls than leadership. Like you've, you you got to fight for the guys, you know, the, the team out there. And that's what I did my whole career. And my chief knew it and we would butt heads. And I'm like, it's all about, you know, the guys and the girls on the street, not, you know, headquarters. I don't care what the people in headquarters are doing. You know, they, they're nine to five. These guys are, you know, 24 seven at work warrants in the street and doing the job. So um, that put me over the top with, with, with everybody. They knew how, what, how I stood and what I was going to get taken care of. And um, like I said, we had, I worked in Brooklyn. It was great. You have the best cases in the world going on. I mean, that's it. I mean, it's, everything's happening there. And we did, we had some great, great jobs and um, made a lot of history, you know, like I'm proud to say that I was one of the marshals involved with El Chapo, you know, and it was in my district, you know, my, my guys were part of that investigation. It was just great. And we made some notable arrests for, for the district and for the whole marshal service in general. Like we put them on the map. So, and as exciting and wonderful as the job is, 
you faced some extraordinary risks and you paid the price for that. You, you were involved in shooting incidents. Four, four shooting incidents, um, car accidents, fighting with, with fugitives and, uh, yeah. And you know, you know what? I, I was in Dead Storm, so we were involved in shootings. And over there, you didn't think nothing of it, you know? And then now you're back in New York, in New York, in the city, in the States. And, you know, I was involved in a shooting incident in Long Island and then in the two, three in Queens. So it, some scary shit, you know? Yeah, everybody, everybody, you know, it's funny. You watched these TV shows and movies, that, it's all bullshit, you know, and like, you know, Law and Order or Blue Bloods or, you know, anything like that. You know, you, listen, I went out, the, we were to go out in the mornings to go after people. You wearing a, a bulletproof vest carrying, you know, gone, you know, it's scary, man. It's nothing like in the military. The military, you're prepared, you're trained, you're ready for it. Out in the streets in the city, it's different world. You're going... You're going in there like somebody shoots at you in a city. You're like your heart's going right through your chest. You're like you're you're scared. You're scared to death. And I don't care any if any whatever anybody says. You're scared to death every day. You know it happens. I like the idea that you're not afraid to talk about the fear. And it seems to me, and I haven't done street work. It seems to me that that would be an undercurrent all the time because in the military, you know who the enemy is and you know kind of where they're at so you've got a little bit more idea of you know trouble's coming and it's gonna come most likely from over there you know but but when you're out in the street you don't necessarily know who the enemy is and you don't necessarily know when it's coming or from where it's coming from we have officers sitting in their cars not even on duty that are being shot so that has to play a little bit of a role in how you approach your day did you notice did you notice that undercurrent was there did it affect you at all um it does but thank goodness you know you're like being a veteran you you have the upper step on everybody the upper hand you know you know there's something bad around the corner you don't know what it is you know in the military was great i had a lot more people with me than you know to eight eight to 12 people we went on the street out with, you know, and everybody's displaced and you're going up into big high rise buildings in the ghetto. You know, it's like, you don't know where you're going to get, where it's coming from. You lose communications, you know, your cell phone goes down, a handheld radio goes down. You're on the 18th floor of a building. There's no comms, you know, and there's five of you up there. There's one or two people on the roof. There's two people on the ground. There's one person just watching our cars because people are going to come by and ransack our vehicles. So you have to put somebody just with your cars. And then you're going into a, an a, apartment that they're all the same, but they're cluttered with so much garbage. You don't know who's in. You're hoping the bad guy that you're looking for is in there. And then there's, you know, five or six, seven other people. And now there's only five of you against all these people. You got to put them on the ground. You know, you lose light. You walk around with a flashlight and, you know, your batteries go dead. You like your hand, your guns in your hand. You're just trying to get by, you know, to make it happen and, you know, hope people cooperate. And it's never goes that they don't. Nobody does. It's not like you're knocking on the door saying, hello, good morning. Is uh, is Mike there? You know, it's. Yeah. You get greeted a different way. <laughs> so I hear you saying that you felt like your military service was invaluable in your law enforcement service. Yeah, I, I believe that 100 percent, especially going in the military young and being trained. And, you know, it's discipline. There's a structure. There's a format. There's a focus, you know, and you're being you're being taught to fight, to live, you know, to fight, to survive, you know, at any means. So you keep that in the back of your head. You always maintain it, you know, and, and you got to go through life. I think like that, you know, and, you know, stay prepared and stay ready. And especially if you're going to go from the military and then go into law enforcement or 
you know, any type of first responder, like even with the fire department or the medical field with EMTs, you know, you got to be ready to go. Something's going to happen, you know, and you got to, you got to be mentally prepared for that. And, you know, it's a shame, a whole different talking point is how I think here in the States, like, I don't think we give enough credit to the military guys and girls coming out. Like, you know, like here we, you know, everybody worrying about the second amendment with your right to carry a gun. I mean, holy shit. The first person that should get be given a gun is ex-military, a veteran. Like they, they were trained, they know what they're doing. And that should be, even when you put police tests out there, the first person that you should pick is a, a veteran who, you know, who stood a post, who walked a beat, you know, knows what it's like instead of some, you know, college kid, because he, you know, he or she did, you know, was a valedictorian, you know, I, big deal. You know, military people have, have the better background than anybody. Oftentimes we talk about the, the blue line and the blue line family or the blue line brotherhood. Uh, military kind of has the same the same idea. There's it's family. You you become so tied together with your with your people. So for you, you had two separate worlds that you were committed to and and dedicated to, and you experienced a collision of those worlds. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, totally. You know, I'm a I I brought that. From my background, even before I went in the military, I believed in, you know, friendship and, you know, family and, you know, like gatherings and getting togethers. And, you know, I went when I was in the military, it, it seemed like my apartment was like Grand Central. Everybody met at my place, you know, before we went out or anything. And I carried that over when I became a marshal and for years, my wife and I, every year would have a huge barbecue pool party at our house and invite everybody from the office over. I mean, I would have over 200 people at my house and just to build the camaraderie of what it's supposed to be like, you know, like it's, you know, you work together, you know, you, you, you're, you're supposed to, you get your coworkers, your friends, your partners, you know, your, your teammates. And, you know, foolish, I was a fool because some people took advantage of that. And it's a shame. Um, there's a young lady who works for me while I was a supervisor and we were, we were part of this huge task force. And our task force was the, the, the leaders in the nation. And I mean, they made a TV show about us, Manhunters on A&E, you know, and so this this young lady who's a an army veteran, deputy U.S. marshal, she earned her spot and she wanted to be in the Warren squad and do it. And I selected her. I put her in there. But she was a, a female and she was a lesbian. And some of the guys in the task force didn't didn't like her, didn't want to take orders from her, didn't want to acknowledge her and um she would she wasn't going to put up with it she wasn't going to tolerate it and she kept working through it and doing her job but they would every day they made it worse for her and they um you know it started out with the bullying and harassing and you know busting chops and ball busting and but it was just a little bit more you know and it actually it got to the levels of sexual harassment to actually assault against her. And, you know, she brought it to my attention. She told me, she confronted it to me. I, I, for her own safety, I, I took her out of there. And then I confronted the supervisor of them, of those guys. And then I confronted all those guys and it, it, it didn't seem to go right that those got, you know, I reported to our, our chiefs knew about it and it went up to the upper, upper leadership of the agency and headquarters. And 
they they didn't do it the right like how do you it's sexual harassment you know one-on-one you separate people they wanted to keep them all together you investigate these people you you put people on admin suspension they didn't do anything and then they because then some other people my direct leadership complained about that and there was arguments going on and it it was going to lead up to actual physical confrontations with people to include myself against one of the guys who tried to fight me and he was he was like you're going to go against the blue wall you you the blue line you're going to cross the blue line you're going to defend her over us and I'm it's it's right or wrong you 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 can't hit her you know you can't you can't mess with her property. You can't touch her. You can't make her kiss you. You can't do these things. Like this is a professional organization, and the my own agency, you know, they they wanted they had people who know those guys do the investigation, and they were like, "Oh, there's no wrongdoing here. It's going to be like office culture, you know, just some petty." Ma- we're like, "No, there's actual crimes that are being taken place." So during that, these guys, and they've been to my house and we tried to do, you know, make it teamwork. Yeah, they, um, they were getting removed from the task force because of what was going on. And then all of a sudden they came out and they were like, oh, you, Bobby Lettiger, even though we've known you for five or 10 years, you're a racist. You say the N word hundreds and thousands times a day. And we never wanted to say anything because, you know, we were friends, but we're going to say it today, but not 10 years ago. And not only are you a racist, you, um, you steal evidence, you steal money, you sell drugs, you take drugs. And there's so much more, you know, you, you and your wife um, have domestics, your wife is dating a felon before she got with you. You're you own a business with a felon. All all these things that would take up time to investigate. And people knew they were lies. You know, you just it's just insane. And um, my own agency, because to save the good name of the task force. Because the task force was created after September 11th, funded through Congress off of the Patriot Act. So if that went back to Congress, that there was sexual harassment and against a, a female lesbian, they would all look really bad and the funding would be questioned. And my own, my own fellow people, I guess, in my own agency went against me in defending a coworker, another marshal, and had internal affairs investigate me of the lies that were made against me as if they were true. So that started back in 2015. I had to go hire a lawyer um because we're federal agents we don't have unions and um big money and they um they proposed to fire me and it came all out in 2020 five years later and i was working doing everything under investigations and Two months before I could retire in 2020, during the pandemic, when the whole world is shut down, the Marshal Service found it necessary to fire me. Two months before I could retire, when I had my paperwork in, when I was on leave, using leave time instead of playing the game that we know so many people did during the pandemic to to score and I was terminated and I was fired and I lost everything. 
I lost my pension, my medical benefits, everything. And then, you know, people talk about today, well, your good name was destroyed. I have a great name. I have support of hundreds and thousands of people and they all stood there for me. It was just the leadership of the agency that had their own personal agenda to protect the task force over their own people. Um, so I defended this young lady and she was, she was protected because she, the complaint came out and people talked about it, like leave her alone, don't mess with her. And during the stuff that was going on with me, she filed an EEO and it got really intense against her and it was a lot of pressure and she just settled with the marshal service on her EEO. They gave her a lot of money. They promoted her and restored any time that she had lost. And um, of course she couldn't talk about it, but as I defended her, we sit here today, she's defending me for defending her. So, you know, it's a shame what happened. She retired. Um, now she's able to come out and talk about everything and tell everybody like what, what I did for her, which is great. So um, <clears throat> I get fired and, um, you know, it's the pandemic there. You can't get a job. I got no medical benefits and being a veteran, you know, I always went to the VA and had my physical. So I had a, I had to go back to the VA and ask for some help. And, you know, you don't sleep, you don't eat, you know, you get paranoid and scared and there's fear. You're ashamed and embarrassed and nobody let me be like that, but it's in your head. The demons get to you, you know, they freak you out. Um, and I would, I'd go out for walks for miles, you know, I'm, I'm in Florida now. I'd be walking at two o'clock in the afternoon, sweating my ass off, you know, with like thinking I was going to go for a walk and listen to music and, and, and get my head straight. Nope. I would seven miles and I have no, I would just be thinking about what these, what internal affairs did to me and what my own agency wrote about me of you know, being a bad person and it sucks. And, um, you know, I'm very grateful to the VA for me. The VA was great. They, um, I spoke to a, a therapist and then they put me in touch with a, a psychologist and it was great. And still today I talked to them, you know, just to get you through it. Um, so I was able to, to move forward and we filed um, an appeal before the Merit System Protection Board, which is a complete shit show. It's like a kangaroo court. It's an embarrassment. And, but you have to go that route being a, a government employee, like there's steps to take. And the administrative law judge who's disappointed is probably not even a lawyer. She found that there was no policy against what they were saying I did, but still ruled in favor of the agency, the marshals, that they do have the authority and the right to fire me. Even though I had so much support and positive background. And um, so we now filed an, an appeal against that decision, which has been approved to go before the Merit System Protection Board three-panel quorum, which those three people are appointed by the president. So it's supposed to be neutral, but the system sucks. The whole process sucks. When I have the law and case law and the truth and the facts on my side, like, my lawyers are great, unbelievable. They're so smart. And I think they're too smart. And they they should have dummied it down somehow against the government lawyers. Because they even the lawyer, the government lawyers lied. And 
they cherry pick, you know, your statements and they, they pull sentences from other interviews and it just confuses the judge who was in over a head. It was totally, it's like my case is so complex and, but you know, my wife is awesome. She's a superstar. She was right there for me to, to today. You know, my parents, my friends, family, coworkers, everybody. And, you know, we sit here today and I, my case is still pending the appeal, but I landed on my feet. I list what you got to start. You got to trust some people, even people you don't know, like they come out, like people do help people. And I made some great connections and there was, there's a couple of awesome people who helped me and coached me and guide me on what to do. And I, it's an honorable thing. What I did is I got my retirement. I retired. I used the government against the government. I didn't break any rules or any laws or any policy violations. I used their own policies and programs to benefit me. And it worked. And I'm fully retired now after 32 years in the government, full pension. And what's so rewarding about it is that a few months ago, my chief was confronted by one of the lawyers from the marshals and she asked him, how did I do it? And he was able just to smile at her and be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Give him a call if you want to know how to do your job. And I still know they're, they're mad that, you know, I won, but I really, even when you, you win, you lose, you know, you, you messed up my head. You, you took a piece of me that's never going to be the same again. And it sucks, but you can't let it, you can't let it kill you. And trust me, you, people who go through what I went through and even, even worse, they want you and they are your own people. They want you to die. They want you to kill yourself. They want you to get more jammed up than the situation you're in. And that sucks. That really sucks that other Americans want to try to screw over another American, but nothing like, I mean, listen, if I was a criminal, no problem, put me in jail, but I'm not, but don't treat me like a criminal over administrative policy bullshit. And it's, it just blows your mind. So today I'm retired. I have full medical benefits. My wife is very happy. Um, my parents are happy, proud of me. My friends are so happy for us. And while I was going through all this stuff, without making any phone calls or asking people for help or favors, I was able to go out and get a job. It's because I had to provide for my family and protect them. And I am now a security consultant for a private organization, which is awesome. And I travel throughout, you know, mainly the South, but I do go out to the West or up North. And, you know, I do security training and physical security assessments and discussions about security awareness. And people know who I am because they, they search you, they Google you before you come there. And they're just, they're taken back by me and they want to hear, you know, my experience and my, how professional you are and what you know and what you've been through. And it's great. It's just absolutely great. And um, I'm able today to get people reach out to me now for help as much as I needed help from other people, lawyers tell their clients to talk to me about the process of what's going to go on and what's going to happen. And you try to, 
you guide them. And you know what? I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a scholar. And the truth hurts. So if you call me for advice or guidance, I'm going to tell you exactly what the hell is going to happen and what you're going to go through. And the only way you can fail is if you in your head think you're going to fail. That's it. You got to suck it up. You got to get punched in the mouth and move on. You know, it's like Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. And that's it. You know, and now you punch back and you win. And that's thankfully what I was able to do, you know, and every day is great. Now that you've gotten to the point where the outcome is more known, um, do you do you regret at all standing up for her? No, not at all. I have zero regrets. Um, I have a I would the way I grew up, I have a, a younger sister. And you know what? As going into grammar school, my dad told me if anybody messes with your sister, beat the shit out of them. That's it. That's it. No one's gonna met, you know, and I don't play this game, you know, with the being like today's environment, being woke or the different cultures or any of that. Bullshit. If you mess with my wife. I'm going to fight back. And that's what happened here. These guys, you mess with me, you mess with my wife, and that's it. And these guys, some of these guys, and I know who they are, and it's well known, and it's okay. I don't need to, I don't need to put people's names out there or write a list. It's in my head. They came to my house. They put screws in the tires of our cars in my wife's car. They tried to scare my wife, my mother-in-law who lived with us, they would sit outside our house in unmarked cars to intimidate us. So I hope they look over their shoulders every day because I'm still here. So if you wanted to come after me and they did, they should have killed me and they didn't. So mean people suck and they'll get theirs because I'm still here. Yeah. So there is a whole other conversation that we could go into. And it, 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 it's a conversation that takes way more than what you and I can, can get into, but women in law enforcement, it's still a boys club. And the idea that for your, for your employee, that she was not part of, the blue line that that it was you're standing against this blue line when really she's part of this she's part of that family she's part of she's one of you but they didn't see her that way how big of a problem do you think that that still is even despite the efforts that have been made to to bring women into an equal position in law enforcement i agree with what you're saying I'm not the expert in that because I was very fortunate for the young ladies that, that worked for, with me and for me are undestructible. They're unbelievable. Like this, the girl, Dawn, I can say her name. She's, she's athletic. She plays softball, um, soccer. She was a soccer coach. She qualified on her weapon. She meet her, the requirements for her fitness test. She was in, you know, in decent shape and physically fit, she can control her, she could handle herself, even in a fight, and it's going to happen, as well as two, two with four other women who I worked with, and who later on worked for me, they would kick the shit out of 90% of the guys that I worked with. I mean, these girls, they were in the gym, one girl was a kickboxer, um, you got to be kidding me. The other was a physical fitness trainer. And you're just, that's it. And they're, and again, like I was in Brooklyn. So these girls, you know, they got sharks, they're shark skin. You're not going to penetrate that. They're, they can bite you off. But I do know that in some parts of it, you know, it is, it's, um, it's the good old boy program and exists today because it went against me and it went against Dawn, who I protected, it went against us. And 
And sometimes it's not just the guys that are part of the good old boy program. There's some dirty girls that are part of that program. And what's really disgusting for me and what breaks my heart is that the deciding official against me was a female and I don't care whose feelings I hurt. She's a slob of a person because she was one of my class advisors when I went through basic training and she personally knew me and she followed my career because she was one of my personal advisors. Like I liked her and she liked me and she would, she knew I was doing really good at the job. And then for her, because she became a headquarters person and was more worried about towing the company line than bringing the truth out. I think, and she, she retired and all these bad actors that were part of this all got to retire or transfer out. And then we see it till today, how the corruption in law enforcement is coming out so big where you see these, these dirty um, managers and leaders in headquarters positions getting caught up with sexual harassment and fraud. And they have no one to protect themselves now, but they can quick run for the door to retire. And it's, it's a shame that it's like that. And they go after the younger, the smaller person, the smaller titled person, because it ties up the system. Because the investigators will focus on you and they're intimidated to go after the people with titles. And, it, you know, it's a joke. It's a complete joke. And hopefully somehow it can get fixed, but you can't investigate yourself. It's not going to pay out right. And that's the big challenge here is all of these systems are built where you're, you're basically doing just that. Supervisors are investigating other supervisors that are, you know. Dirty, they're dirty. Yeah. So what would you say you're doing now? to help other people not go through the same things that you went through or to bring more awareness to the struggles that you went through? I, do, I think I do more awareness and educate, educate some people on what you're going to go through. Like, this is what's going to happen. And everybody's different. You know, everybody has different feelings and thoughts and, you know, I find that, you know, I'm having a lot more talks with, you know, individuals about things and they're asking for help and guidance on how it, it's going to play out. And it seems to be that they listen to you because I think they get sick and tired of spending money to listen to their lawyer. So they'll ask, you know, and I'm like, you, but you have to. You have to accept the truth of what's going to happen. You know, you like, I don't want to be an expert in this, this shit, but I become an expert. You know, I wish it never happened to me, um, but it did. And you, it's okay to be, to fall down in a hole for a month or two, but holy shit, you better start climbing out of it or else you're going to, the dirt's going to fall back on top of you and you're going to fade away. And you can't, you can't let it happen. You gotta, you gotta smarten up. You gotta read, you know, what you're involved in and accept it. And don't, you can't feel sorry for yourself. You can't, you know, listen, you, you, you can't blame anybody, but you just gotta move forward. You can't, you know, you can't hate people. You can't, break the law or commit a crime or hurt yourself or your family. You gotta, you gotta suck it up and get stronger. You know, if it takes riding your bike or going for a run or going for a swim or going to the gym or, you know, going dark for a week, do something to get yourself back in the game and, and fight it, you know, fight off the negativity 
And you can, you know, you really can. I'm not a religious person. I'm, you know, I'm Catholic, but I, I didn't, you know, I'm not going to be a phony and say, I, you know, I, I prayed to God or anything for help because I didn't, I just didn't. My wife did. She's, you know, prayed for us and other people did. And I love them for it. You know, I mean, I had a friend send me a Bible, you know, and she prays for me all the time and she texted me, you know, prayers. And every now and then I'll glance through it and I'm like, holy shit, this is about me, you know, and they nail it. But talking about what happens to you, to someone that listens to you, helps. And that's what people need. You know, I'm not a fan of taking medication or all these crazy vitamins out there or herbs or different fruits, you know, like talking to another person about what you're going through and that person listening to you and then giving you feedback, it really helps. And it helped me and it still helps me today. And I'm glad I'm, I'm able to help other people get through it. And now you're going through another process of healing, which we have a, a right to heal program uh, in our organization that uses writing as a way to tell your story and as a way to help with that healing process. You have a book coming out. I do where we're still in it. And it's funny, the person writing the book that I'm going with and we go back and forth and she was hoping that the book would have been done this past August. And I just laughed at her when she said that because I would bombard her with so much information and she's just like, holy shit, we're going to get like two or three books out of this. Your, 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 your story and your background and everything that you went through. And our book is focused on all the letters of support that were written about me, for me, for my case to defend me. And, um, she's just, she's overwhelmed by it. And it's amazing. And you read some of it, what people, you knew you had really good people in your life. Then you find out they're really great people and they had the courage to put what they wanted to say on paper and they put their name to it. They put their title to it. They, they signed it and they stood proud by it. And for what they did for me is I, you know, I can never thank them enough. And this is the greatest thanks I got is to write a book and for lady Natalie Riley to, to believe me and, and want to do this is just great. And we know that this book is going to help so many people and, and guide so many people down a better path, you know, and, it's, it's inspiring and it's great. I just, I love getting it off my chest. I love writing stuff down now and, and sharing it with her, you know, because I can't forget it. You can't, you just can't forget it. You know, it's just there. And um, it makes you feel better. Every day is a better day. I love that. Every day is a better day. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming and being with us today and for sharing your story so openly, even though it's not all the positive stuff, yeah. we got to have these hard conversations and I look forward to seeing what happens with your book when you finally release that or multiple books. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, Krista, thank you very much. Just thank you for letting me talk and say all this stuff and um, any questions, you know, it's awesome. And um, hopefully, you know, it, it opens up some eyes, you know, and people listen. But I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody, for being with us today on this episode of Rise Up, Ignite Your Life. Again, as always, if you would like to support our podcast and help us keep doing this work we're doing, you can 
click the button below that says support this podcast, or you can make a donation at battle2b.org, B-A-T-T-L-E, the number two, B-E dot O-R-G. All of the profits from this podcast are uh, given to the Battle to Be 501c3 nonprofit organization, and they are used to provide post-traumatic and occupational stress resources for families in need and to fund the Ferryman Project, which is our honor, respect, and remember mission, wherein we take one-of-a-kind plaques to families of fallen heroes and hold space for those who feel like they have been left out or closed out of their law enforcement or first responder families that they dedicated their lives to. So again, thank you so much for being here with us today. We are a community funded organization and we can't do this work without you. So have a fantastic day and we'll see you on our next episode.